Well, as many of you know, uh, during the month of September, we've been taking a closer look at some of the parables of Jesus that we find throughout the New Testament Gospels. And um, I have been excited every single week preparing these messages. I, I love reading parables. I love the challenge that comes from those. And for the sake of this study, we've identified a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And we know that Jesus loved to teach in parables. It wasn't the only way that he chose to taught. You know, some people believe that because Jesus spent a lot of his time teaching in parables, that every pastor should be a storyteller. You know, that's not the case. Jesus chose to teach in a few different ways, but he loved teaching in parables. And he chose to do so so that the people who were truly seeking a relationship with him would be able to understand the truths that he was teaching and they would be encouraged to live those truths out in their own lives. So today we're going to wrap up our, our storyteller message series by looking at another parable that's found in the book of Matthew chapter 18. Now remember, if, if you're here today and you've missed any of the messages so far in this series, you can actually go back and, and listen to those individually through our website. And the information for that is in your church bulletin. So before we read the parable this morning, I think it'd be a good idea to provide some context um, before we read uh, the, the content. You know, I, I remember hearing um, when I was a, a, a lot younger and maybe a student in that age, I remember a pastor saying it's important for us to understand the context of what we're reading before we unpack the content. And I think that's important. So the author of the book of Matthew is a guy named Matthew. Go figure, <laughs> right? Now, some of these are tricky, though, because you really do have to go back and double check. But Matthew also goes by the name Levi. And uh, Matthew, he's a, he's a former tax collector whose life really was a complete wreck before, meth, before meeting Jesus. Um, he stole from his own people. He gave to a cause that, that was not his own. But Matthew's life completely changed after meeting Christ. He, he received something from Jesus that, that no one else could offer him. And I want you to remember that idea because we're going to come back to that later. And I believe that's why today's parable is, is actually only found in the book of Matthew. See, Matthew... Was, was a new man. He was, he was a new creation. He was a new person as a follower of Jesus. And he was led by the Holy Spirit to record this exact parable that Jesus shared with his disciples, a parable that was very near to Matthew's heart because of his own life story, because of what Jesus did in his life. And now, I think this is so amazing, over, over 2,000 years later, we have the opportunity to learn from Jesus in a similar way that the disciples would have as we, as we read the parable and as we, we seek to unpack that. So I want to open with a word of prayer this morning, and then I'm going to invite Eileen Daly to come up, and she's going to read the parable for us today um, in its entirety. You can follow along with that on the screen or in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. So as I'm praying, Eileen, you can go ahead and come up. Uh, Father, we again are grateful for this opportunity today, and I ask that um, you would bless our time together, that this would be a time that we grow in knowledge of who you are, but we also learn how to apply that knowledge into real-life application, that we would be your hands and your feet in this time and in this place. Um, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. 
In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Thank you, Eileen. So in this moment, um, Jesus had, had just had a teaching time or a teaching moment with, with his disciples. And while this is happening, uh, the apostle Peter asked Jesus an important question. So Jesus is having this teaching moment. And I, I think it's a lot like our small groups or our Sunday school classes. You know, we all have that person, right? That um, you're talking, you're having a teaching moment, and then they're the ones, they're the first to speak up, right? And if you don't know who it is, it's probably you. So, so knowing, knowing, though, what we already know about Peter's character, and his, his personality. I personally don't believe that he asked this question because he genuinely wanted an answer. I don't think he was really looking for, for the right answer. I believe that Peter had ulterior motives behind the question that he was asking. You see, Peter, what we know about him, he's impulsive in his decision-making, and he's very strong-willed. He's very strong-willed in his personal opinions. But as we see, and this is kind of a side note, and I hope this is an encouragement for you this morning if you identify with Peter in your own life. As we see in many other stories throughout God's word, when God gets a hold of someone's life, when he gets a hold of someone's life, his strength is made perfect in that person's weakness. So where we would look at someone like Peter and and probably see a lot of weakness, a lot of areas that uh, maybe we don't want to live that out in our own life, God was able to get a hold of that and use his his, uh, God's strength is, is made evident in his weakness. And this is, this is true in our lives as well. You see, God can take whatever character trait or attribute that we believe uh, is not good enough in our own lives, whatever it is that you personally feel is not good enough, and he can use that for something meaningful that ultimately points people to Jesus. I've seen it um, so, so many times in the youth groups that we've had uh, as, as we've gone through ministry where um, there would be a character trait or an aspect about that individual they feel like it's just not good enough. And maybe it's something they hear from their parents or from their peers or their siblings. And God takes that and, and he's able to use that for something amazing that, that we can't do on our own. And I believe that that's what he does with Matthew, who's the author. He does that with Peter and he does that in our lives as well. So what I want to do this morning 
And I want to read this parable in, in just a few smaller sections so that we can see why Peter's question that he asked Jesus is, is so important. And then we'll see what Jesus' response was and how his answer is so applicable for our lives today, for every person here. So we'll start in Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 21 through 26. It says this, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? So there's the question. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. There's the answer. And then Jesus explains this with a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Now, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owned. Can you imagine this? This is wild. Uh, He did that so that he could pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him. He fell down before the king. He said, please, be patient with me and I'll pay it all. You see, the spiritual leaders in Jesus' day, they taught that you should forgive someone who's who's wronged you, no matter what, what it is, but that you should only do that three times. You should only forgive the person three times. Now, again, this is my own opinion, but I believe that Peter was just trying to sound smart. He was just trying to sound super generous when he asked this question to Jesus. I believe that he was trying to show Jesus how far he'd really come in his own spiritual life by more than doubling the religious leader's legalistic approach to forgiveness. That's all it was. It was a legalistic approach. It was something they had written down and believed and taught that that's how you should forgive. But as we see with Jesus, he often does the opposite of what the world lives and and what they believe. Spiritual leaders had it wrong. So what Jesus says next, it catches the disciples completely off guard. Because can you imagine growing up in a system, growing up with a certain belief? And then Jesus challenges that. Jesus says that we shouldn't forgive someone seven times even. Instead, we should forgive 70 times seven. What does that mean? Well, in other words, in my life, in your life, that we shouldn't keep track, right? That it's not about keeping track. It's not about writing this down and, and, and making sure that we have a one-up on the person every single time that it's time to forgive. We should be willing to forgive as many times as necessary when someone is truly repentant, when someone is truly sorry, and sometimes when they're not. So we've already read the parable in its entirety uh, earlier. Eileen did that for us. So we, we know that this, this debtor, the guy that comes to the king, the guy who owes the, the king money, he's not the greatest guy in the world. But I believe that we can still learn from people who make poor decisions and from people who aren't the greatest examples for how we live our lives. I fully believe that. The people that we interact with in our own lives, there is a lesson to be learned even if they're not living their lives the way that God calls them to live. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the first lesson that we can learn from the debtor. It's this. Like the debtor, we should take our worries to the king. You see, the need to forgive another person is almost always existent because we ourselves have been hurt, lied to, wronged, uh, or cheated in, in some way. You can fill in the blank for, for your own life. The need to forgive is, is always very personal. And I've known in my own life that the need to forgive can often take a lot of courage to, to actually get to that point where you're ready to forgive. And that's why forgiveness should start with taking our worries to the king. What do I mean by that? Well, the debtor happened to be the one who was actually in the wrong, the one who needed 
forgiveness. And there's a lesson to be learned there as well. But when it comes to forgiving another person, it's important that we let God know how we're feeling about that. And then we ask for direction in how we're called to forgive. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, we read these words. We'll have these up on the screen. It says, give all of your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. All of your worries, all of your cares, you can give those over to God because He cares about you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it says, don't worry about anything. Now, we've heard that, and that's, that's, that's really hard, isn't it? <laughs> Don't worry about anything. Well, here's the prescription. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So the instruction here is this, that we would turn our worries into prayers. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning, just Uh, The amazing gift that prayer is and the need for prayer in our own lives. Now, I don't know about you, but when I know that I need to forgive someone, I'm I'm usually really worried about how that conversation is going to go, right? This is rhetorical, but how many of you guys are are in that same boat? Somebody does something to you, there's tension in a relationship, you know that you need to forgive, you know that you need to have that crucial conversation, and you worry about how that conversation is going to play out. You worry about how that conversation is going to go. I'm also worried about uh, when, when that conversation does happen, how that relationship is going to exist moving forward. Is it, is it going to be damaged? Is it, what, what's the, the current status of, of that relationship? I'm also worried about other issues that might make their way to the surface because of that crucial conversation. Friends, when it comes to forgiveness, the, the, the list of worries is almost endless in our lives. Our, we let our minds run and, and our hearts wander. And, and a lot of times when it comes to forgiveness, we forget to take our worries to the King. The promise here is this, that when we give our worries to God, we're given peace in return. That's the promise. Now, there's no timeline on this. I don't know that you pray immediately and you're, you're given peace right away. I, that's happened in my life, and I'm sure it's happened in yours as well. But the point is this, is that in our, in our prayer, we trust God. And it's in that that we give Him our worries. You could say it this way, and I hope this isn't confusing for you. This is how it made sense in my mind this week. That you turn your worries into prayers. When you're worried about something, you, you take that to God. You pray about it. And it's in your prayers that you give your worries over to God. You say, God, I can't can't handle this on my own. I need you. And then in return, God will give you peace. That's the promise. For many of us, this is the start to being able to forgive another person. So if you're here today, and, and I'm sure the thoughts are already running through your mind of, of that argument that you got into, or that fight that you had, or the lie that was told, or, 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 or the, the, the thing that was spread about you to other people, whatever it is, When it comes to forgiveness, when we give God our worries, we're promised peace in return. And for many of us today, that starts with taking that worry to God. We start with prayer. We start with giving God our worries and our fears, and then we allow God to give us the the kind of peace that only He can give. You see, the ability to forgive someone often starts with taking our worries to the King. So the question is this, what is it that you're worried about today? What are you worried about today? This can have to do with forgiveness, but it can also be any kind of worry. I want to do something that's a little bit different today. I'm going, to, I'm going to challenge you a little bit and stretch you a little bit. I want to take the next few moments and give you an opportunity to give that worry to God this morning. So what we're going to do here just for the next few seconds, 
all across the room. We're going to have a very private moment. I'm going to ask you not to look around, but I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and you close your eyes and that you fix your thoughts on Christ. And this morning, I want to give you just a few moments to give that worry over to God. Just privately, right where you're at. I'm not going to ask that you pray out loud. But at this time, all across the room, if you'll bow your heads with me, now close your eyes. Whatever it is that you're worrying about today, just give that worry over to God. And then I'll close this in prayer. Oh Lord, as, as all across this room this morning, as we're praying, and our prayer is a partnership, a relationship with you. I want to go back to your word and just claim the promise that we shouldn't worry about anything. Instead, we can pray about everything. We can tell you exactly what it is that we need, and we can thank you for how you've worked in our lives. And it's, and it's then that your promise is fulfilled that we will experience the peace, the only kind of peace that comes from you. It surpasses anything that we can understand, but it's the kind of peace that guards our hearts and our minds as we live our lives for you. This morning, God, I pray that whatever it is that we're worried about today, that we would give that to you and we would claim your promise of peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's continue uh, reading the parable in Matthew 18, verse 27 through 30. It says this, Then his master was filled with pity for him. He released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. So you're already seeing this is a lot less money than the million or so that it would equate to in our time today. So he grabbed him by the throat And he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and then put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. So after this debtor had fallen to his knees and asked the king for forgiveness, to be patient with him, to give him more time, to come up with the money, the king does something completely unexpected. I, I, it's not expected if this is your first time reading this parable. I, I personally expect the king to follow protocol, all right? because this is a guy that everybody else is looking up to. They're looking to his direction, his guidance, and they have a law written that this is the protocol, this is what you should do. He does something completely unexpected. I expected him to torture the debtor to imprison his family, to enslave his family, and then give him some time to pay the debt back, but with interest. And and maybe, I don't know about you, but maybe I've seen too many like Hollywood movies or or whatever the case is, but that's usually how these things go, right? You get to this point and the king follows protocol, but what the king does is shocking. We read that he took pity on him. He completely canceled his debt, and then he just let him go. No payment was needed. No, no punishment was required. Just like that, his debt was canceled and the debtor was, was forgiven. And as I was thinking back this week, I wish this would have been available with my past school loans and my past car loans. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way in the real world, right? It's just not the case. So with his debt canceled, you think this guy would be the first one to go out and just forgive the people who've wronged him in his life. Instead, he goes out, he finds someone who owes his money, he physically assaults the guy, and then he demands immediate payment. And as I'm reading this, I'm wondering if we're even in the same parable. Are we even in the same story? Wasn't this guy just let go, completely scot-free? He avoided punishment that by law he deserved, and now he returns the favor by physically choking another person. He demanded immediate payment, and then he had the person thrown into prison until he could pay the debt back in its entirety. There's another lesson to be learned from this debtor's actions. Number two is this. Unlike the debtor, we should forgive. 
Unlike the debtor, we should forgive. You see, before we had a relationship with Christ, if you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus, before that took place, God's word tells us that we were his enemy. Kind of harsh words. That we were his enemy, that we were in need of forgiveness because of sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, says this, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. And then just four verses prior to this, in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. There's none of those in this room today. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Church, this is the gospel. This is the good news. The faith that we hold to so, so tightly. And today, I believe, I believe today more than ever that there's no lasting hope except for the hope that's found in Christ. Amen? And because of our sin, we have a debt that we cannot pay on our own by our own works or by our own efforts. Society might teach you otherwise, but God's word teaches us something different. Just like the debt that was forgiven in the parable through this debtor, if we've placed our faith in Christ, if you've made the decision to be baptized into Christ, our debt has been completely forgiven. It's been canceled because Christ took that debt with him to the cross. I love how Psalm 103 verse 12 describes Christ's work on the cross in our lives. Uh, Psalm 103 verse 12 says, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Now, our, our minds are, are kind of small. We tend to think in, in terms of our world, the place that we live. I want you to think bigger than that this morning. The universe that God's created, the vastness of it, most of which we, we have no idea about. As far as you can go east and as far as you can go west, those destinations will never meet. They will never come together. And this verse describes how limitless God's forgiveness really is in our lives. When our sins are forgiven, He separates it from us. And God's Word even says that He forgets it. Now, I don't understand how, but it says He forgives and He forgets. So if we've been forgiven... You and I are called to model that forgiveness in our own lives towards others. You could say it this way. Forgiveness, uh, forgiving others is evidence that we ourselves have been forgiven. Let me say that again. Forgiveness in our own lives towards others is, is evidence that we ourselves have been forgiven. That's evidence in your life. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Matthew chapter 6 kind of takes it to the next level. Verse 14 and 15 says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. See, this debtor had been forgiven this massive, massive debt. Symbolic of how we've been offered forgiveness in our own lives. And, and then he refused to forgive this minor debt. It was nothing in comparison to what he'd been forgiven. You see, if God's forgiveness towards us is limitless, shouldn't our forgiveness towards others reflect that forgiveness? Unlike the debtor, we should forgive. 
We should take the opportunity that God's given us to extend that, that limitless forgiveness that he's had in our lives. We should reflect that in, in our own lives. So let's read the last section of this parable and we'll try to find some resolution to what we're talking about today. Matthew chapter 18, verse 31 through 35. It says, when some of the other servants saw this, so they saw him physically choking this guy, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he'd forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Verse 35 is hard, and I don't know that I fully understand it, but it says that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So the scene that we're given, one or more people, we don't know how many, uh, one or more people saw this debtor uh, choking, assaulting this, this guy who owed him money. And they, they were extremely upset about this, and rightfully so. I mean, if you see something like that, you're probably going to report it. I hope that you would. So they decide to go to the king, and they tell him every single thing that had happened. No detail overlooked. And the king calls the debtor back in, and he reminds him, as if he had to remind him, but he chooses to remind him about how he had canceled all of the debt that this guy had. No questions asked. And the king actually says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? So the king had the debtor thrown into prison to be tortured until he could pay everything back that he owed. A final lesson that we can learn as we look at this a little deeper is this. Number three, that forgiveness kills the root of bitterness. Forgiveness kills the root of bitterness. How many of you, just a show of hands all across the room this morning, how many of you had chores growing up? Right. most of you, all right? Like many of you, I had a lot of chores growing up, all right? And some of the chores I, I, I really liked, most of them I, I hated, all right? And the chore that I hated the most happened only once or twice per year, and it lasted about two to three days at a time when it happened. And that chore was pulling weeds in my backyard. I hated this chore. Every single year, a few times a year, it would come up, and I don't know, I just... It wasn't for me. And actually, when my wife and I were dating, she actually came over and helped me do this a couple times at my parents' house. So my parents' backyard had a flower bed that covered, like, I believe right about three-fourths of the backyard. And how it did this was it had a flower bed that was on, on three sides of the yard. It just went all the way around. And I, I ended up having to do this a few times a year. Again, it was a two- to three-day job. And I remember pulling weeds on my hands and knees until when you stand up, it hurts to stand up. It hurts in your back, right? You know the feeling. It's horrible. And then I would go to wash my hands because I'd been pulling weeds for so long that it would hurt to wash my hands, even if I was wearing gloves. And usually I did. And I also remember my dad telling me repeatedly as if I would forget this. And I probably would because I do the same thing with my kids today. I remind them over and over and over. But he would tell me repeatedly to make sure that I pull the weeds at the root. Because if I didn't, the weed would grow back and then I would just have to go back and, and redo it. The whole principle was do it right the first time or you'll have to go back and, and do it again. That's the lesson that my dad taught me. Now I'm sure the debtor felt in this parable that he had his reasons for why the other servants didn't deserve forgiveness. And I'm sure this morning you feel that there are reasons, maybe valid reasons, why you feel like you shouldn't forgive the person who's wronged you in your life. 
You see, if I had, had decided to leave the root when pulling the weeds, the weed would have grown back. And it's the same way with bitterness in our lives, that the longer we leave something unforgiven, the more the root of bitterness will take hold in our lives and it will consume you. It will consume you. The longer we leave something unforgiven, the more the root of bitterness will take hold in your life. See, many people choose not to forgive because they're bitter, because they're angry, because they have nothing good to say about the person, because, well, you don't know what they did to me when I was younger. You don't know about the rumor that was spread. You don't know how they treated my kids. Fill in the blank. But the longer that you allow unforgiveness to, to go in your life, the, the more the root of bitterness will grow. Ephesians chapter 4, 31, verse 32 says it this way, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. Be, be tender-hearted. And here it is. Here's the key that wraps up this thought. Forgive one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I know that forgiveness is easier said than done. And that's why we have to rely on, on God's power at work within us to help us br bring us to a place where we're able to forgive. Remember, forgiving others starts with taking our worries to the king. If you're worried about something today, continue to pray about that. Let God know how you feel. Allow him to give you the kind of peace that only he can give. And then unlike the debtor, we should forgive. We forgive because we've been forgiven in Christ. And if God's forgiveness is limited, limitless, we should allow that limitless forgiveness to reflect in our own lives towards other people. And finally, the longer we leave something unforgiven, the more the root of bitterness will take hold in our lives. The way to get rid of bitterness is through forgiveness. So we began our time today by talking about how Matthew had received something from Jesus that no one else could offer, that no one else could give. I believe that Jesus looked at this, this sinner, this sinful tax collector, and saw his most prized creation. And if you know a little bit about Matthew, maybe you think, well, how can that be? You know, we, we described Matthew a couple weeks ago, um, different theologians and Bible scholars and professors, I've, I've heard it this way, that Matthew would have been viewed the same uh, to, in our culture today as a, as a high school student who sells drugs to your middle school student behind the convenience store. That's how bad Matthew was viewed in his society. But God looked at this sinner, he looked at this person and said, you're my most prized creation. Jesus saw a man who had so much potential for making an impact for the kingdom of God and all he had to do is trust that God's plan for his life was so much greater than his own. You see, despite how Matthew might have felt about himself, about how others certainly viewed him, all of, all of his own people. God knew the reason that he'd placed Matthew here on this earth. He had a plan and a purpose for Matthew's life. And this morning, despite what other people have told you, God has a plan and a purpose for your life as well. See, Matthew was led by the Holy Spirit to record this amazing parable about forgiveness because he himself was a recipient of God's limitless forgiveness. Forgiveness was just a part of Matthew's story. God wants it to be a part of yours as well. So this morning, if you've been forgiven, if, you've already, if you already have a relationship with Jesus, be a vessel. Be a vessel for God's limitless forgiveness towards the people in your own life. Make that decision. You know, a lot of times we, we talk about things that 
We have, to, we have to try to figure out how can I apply this to my life. When it comes to the topic of forgiveness, the second you walk out these doors, you are given an opportunity. This is an immediate thing. Be a vessel for God's forgiveness towards others. Bring your worries to the king. Forgive others. Don't allow the root of bitterness to take hold in your life. Forgive because you yourself have been forgiven. If you're here this morning and you've never received God's free gift of forgiveness, if you've never received God's free gift of salvation, today is the day. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, I love the enthusiasm behind this, this verse and when it's a part of the rest of the context, this letter to this church. It says, For God says at just the right time, I heard you. I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. God offers salvation to every person. You know, I've, I've talked with a lot of people over the years who've put off making that decision for Christ because they believe that there's going to be a better time to do so. Well, I want more of my family here. Or um, everyone in my family gets baptized when they're 16. Or and that's been a thing. <laughs> you know, for sometimes it's, it's deeply rooted in our families for all the wrong reasons. Scripture says the day of salvation is today. There's no better time than the present to receive God's forgiveness. Don't let anything hold you back from making that decision. If that's you today, we want to talk with you today after the service. We want to sit down and open up God's word with you and share with you his plan of salvation for your life. God wants you to begin a relationship with Jesus today. So a couple things as as we wrap up. This is the end of our series on the parables, but we have a list available that you can go through and read all the parables that Jesus wrote. And I encourage you to do that. If you haven't gotten on on board with that, you can do that the rest of this month and the next month, whenever you want to do it. I I felt like this week that this was the hardest message to write, to unpack, because the topic of forgiveness is so personal in every one of our lives. Some of us are dealing with that today. We haven't even shared with our spouse or our kids or the people that mean most to us. But God knows what you're going through. He does, and, and, he, and he wants you to go to him with that worry, and he wants to give you that peace in return. He wants you to forgive even when the debtor in the, in the parable didn't. Learn from his bad mistake. And this morning, if you've had forgiveness that's gone on too long in, in your life, unforgiveness, and you just feel bitter about that, forgiveness is, is the key to that. If the root of bitterness has taken hold in your life, forgive. That kills the root of bitterness. If I didn't go back and pull the, the root the whole weed would have, come, would have returned. It's the same thing with forgiveness in our lives.